I'm Rachel Perkins, and you're listening to the Nordic Nation podcast from Faster Skier. If you're listening to this episode, it's likely that our guest needs no introduction. Over the last decade, Jesse Diggins has steadily worked to become the most decorated American cross-country skier in history. As she gained more recognition beyond the niche of cross-country skiing, she began to use her platform to become an advocate for causes she felt passionately about, including eating disorder awareness and support, climate change, and more. Heading into the Olympics in February, Jesse received more media attention than ever before. Landing on the cover of Sports Illustrated and having her profile featured on several major news outlets, there was an entire category for her career highlights under the cross-country ski tab on NBC's Peacock streaming platform. Standing out from all the coverage focused on Jesse surrounding the games was a line in a New York Times story suggesting that she looked like a sprite in her racing suit and comparing her body to her competitors, who had massive shoulders and thighs. The comment was seen as inaccurate, inappropriate, and potentially harmful to those reading it. Nordic Nation recently hosted a discussion among the panel of Rosie Brennan, Corinne Malcolm, Brian Metzler, and Nat Herz to discuss why comments like this are detrimental in sports journalism. But not all of our readers were convinced that the comment was problematic, and some felt it had already been given enough attention. Looking to add clarity to this, Jesse reached out to Faster Skier asking to add her voice to the conversation speaking from the perspective of someone who has experienced an eating disorder and since become an advocate for awareness and support in that realm. Before we hear from Jesse, here's a quick note from this episode's sponsor. This episode is brought to you by the Mount Bachelor Nordic Center. Located outside beautiful Bend, Oregon, the Mount Bachelor Nordic Center has 56 kilometers of daily groomed Nordic trails. With a season that typically runs late November until the end of May, Mount Bachelor has one of the longest Nordic seasons in North America. The Nordic Center hosts a full rental fleet, various instructional classes for all ages and abilities, an on-site retail store, and the cozy Nordic Cafe. If you're in the Pacific Northwest, be sure to check out this winter wonderland this season. To learn more about tickets, passes, and resort amenities, go to mtbachelor.com. Yeah, so thank you, first of all, for taking the time to do this. Um, I know this is kind of your off-season, so really especially appreciate um, you giving us time for right now. But yeah, in, in terms of kind of just looking back at the season as a whole, um, you know, objectively, it seems like a pretty incredible season for you in terms of what you accomplished throughout the season and during the Olympics. Um, but I also want to kind of broaden that lens beyond just kind of the the results that are easy to focus on in terms of just what you identify as some of those season highlights, whether it's a place where you feel like you made progress or kind of had pieces come together or just something that kind of like set you up um, to earn those results this season. Yeah. Well, thanks for asking. Cause I always, I love going beyond the results because, and, I, and you know, we've talked about this before, but at the end of the day, it's sort of like you might have the best day of your life and a medal may not come as a result of that, but you may still have had, an outstanding Olympics. You may still have had a great day. You may have all the pieces come together and maybe someone else was just better or maybe your ski or your pole broke, you know, things can happen. So I think it is so important to go beyond the results. Um, But it's actually funny because I am looking right now at my 21, 22 season goals that I set with Cork every spring and we're going to do our planning meeting soon. And I'm not going to go through all of my 
um, <laughs> season goals here on the podcast, but it's kind of funny because pretty much all of them, I mean, literally all of them were about the process, you know, like nowhere on this goal sheet, was it like win the Olympics, bring back medals, you know, like it was all about like, you know, I really want to improve my skiing by not putting pressure on myself for results and focusing in on the process to bring satisfaction and joy on race day. And I feel this in training, you know, like I don't have to win the workout. I just have to say, wow, like that was a great training session, you know, like we got a lot out of that, but I need to feel it at championships and world cups as well, because, you know, you, uh, I think for me anyway, it's so important to not put all my self-worth on the results and to be able to feel that internal satisfaction of, you know what, I went out there and I really gave it everything I had. And that's something I've been focusing so much on is moving away from the results and outcome-based um, source of satisfaction or joy or self-worth. Um, so it's totally possible to feel just as excited about a really, really kick-ass day of intervals as like a really, really great race. And so some of my goals were like really trying to improve my steep classic stride and getting comfortable in herringbone because that's really, really <laughs> tough for me. So we did a lot of like grass skiing herringboning to just try to get in touch with that feeling in the summer when we couldn't get on snow. And we did some like long distance race simulations and talked about feeding strategies and fueling beforehand. And, um, you know, how, what, how are we going to layer up when it's cold? What are we going to do if it's really hot? Because that's even worse for me than when it's really cold. And so you know, it, was, it was just really cool to have um, set really concrete goals that I was able to go after. And it, it felt good to, you know, yeah, have, have, have made it through the Olympics in a time of great stress and great pressure and made it through to the other side, still feeling like myself. And, you know, it took a lot of energy, but it, you know, it, what could have been a really um, tough experience. And I'm not saying it was easy with COVID and how isolating it was, but to have made it through the other side and said, you know, wow, we have some crazy memories that are going to last a lifetime, but no, really bad memories that's that's a big triumph I think yeah and um now that you've had kind of a couple of months to to digest all those aspects about the Olympics um and you know everything that happened there on and off the the race course what are some of the the highlights and moments that stand out to you as you look back and what are you proud of thinking about that experience oh gosh um I mean having just spoken so much about the process, of course, I am proud of the races as well. <laughs> you know, it's good to acknowledge that, you know, it does feel good to have things come together. And I'm so proud of two of our wax team. Oh my gosh. You know, <laughs> like they had to figure out so far ahead of time, what waxes to bring even because we couldn't have the wax truck there. Obviously you couldn't like ship it all the way over there. So that was crazy. You know, the fact that they had to be so organized, so on top of it, um, they did so much testing and they delivered competitive skis day after day. You know, that was so cool to see that process work because it is so tied in to how we can race, you know, like you can't, you can't create medals without an outstanding wax team. And so seeing the good energy and seeing that come together. And I think I was also really, really proud, um, watching, especially a lot of my younger teammates go through you know, such a crazy Olympics, you know, this 
will hopefully be the hardest championship series they've ever endured. So hopefully it'll just get better and easier from here on out because, you know, in theory, like COVID won't be, uh, well, you know what? I'm not even going to say it because then I'm going to jinx it. But, um, <laughs> you know, it's, it was so cool to see, you know, and I think sometimes the Olympics can bring out the best and the worst in us and seeing how um, a lot of people receive news of race starts with grace and humility and supportiveness of the team. And that was just really beautiful and really inspiring. And um, seeing how people, you know, processed their best races ever and, and some bad races, you know, it was so cool to see people just handling it so well. And um, that is not easy. And so I'm really proud of a lot of the things that went on behind the scenes of the games. And personally, um, I'm, I am proud of having made it through that time period, um, really relying on my support team, trying my very best to be the best teammate that I could be. And, um, you know, we didn't get to hang out as a big group as much as I would have loved because we were really, really scared about getting sick, but in the ways that we could, I think we pulled together really well. And, um, especially like our little apartment unit where we were like, all right, here, here's our most immediate germ bubble. You know, we, we did a great job and we took care of each other. And there's some really great memories that are coming out of that. And on kind of a similar note, I guess, uh, the, the last couple seasons have been kind of transitional in terms of, you know, some major retirements for longtime U.S. ski team um, teammates and, you know, seeing some younger athletes, both on the men and women's sides, just stepping up onto the World Cup um, and into the Olympics, but um, yeah, kind of ac- across the whole season, and and I guess that's kind of shifted you into more of like a veteran role. I know there's sort of the like all leaders, no leaders uh, mentality, but um, just having more experience and and all that kind of thing. Um, I guess you're sort of informally in a leadership role. And in thinking of kind of just seeing some of those athletes make that transition and just some of the the season highlights from a a team perspective, what are some of the things that stand out to you? Yeah, I mean, that's kind of a hard question because so many things, you know, (laughs) because it's such a long season. I think one of the things I loved is seeing people kind of start to find their role within the team. Um, because yeah, like you said, all leaders, no leaders, I really have always leaned into that. And I think we're all so good at such different things. Um, and so it's been really cool, um, seeing different people kind of figure out, you know what, I'm really good at the one-on-one. And so if I notice someone having a tough time, I'm going to pull them aside and chat with them and see if they're homesick or, you know, actually I'm really good at bringing a ton of energy and I'm going to organize team game night, you know, like people figuring out like, how can I not just, you know, use the team to make me better, but how can I use my specific strengths to make the team better? And I love seeing that buy-in from people. So um, that makes me feel really, really proud always to see that. So that was cool. Um, And also just, you know, it's (laughs) the world cup is such a cool way to see the world and grow up on the road. It's also challenging, especially in a COVID year, but I think it was so cool to see, you know, like one of the examples that stands out for me is a lot of our young boys, you know, they pretty much locked in Olympic spots fairly early and they were so gracious about it and really humble. And it was just cool to see how they were considering how, 
you know, other people on the team might be feeling. And, and I think that's, that really, um, marks a good level of maturity, I think. And, um, and, uh, and of course on the women's side too, you know, like it was, I thought it was so, so fun to see, um, for example, like Novi and Sophia have such a great last stage of the tour and, um, I was so proud. Oh my gosh, that was so cool. And also to see, you know, like everyone just handling the stresses of an Olympic year with a lot of grace. So that was, that was cool. Cause it's always a hard time, but, um, I think I, I just have really enjoyed seeing everyone kind of find their place. So, um, I guess kind of the, the main topic that we're going to work through is, is just, uh, surrounding this this body comment that was in the New York Times um and maybe before we get into those questions I know that you kind of wanted to make it clear that like this is you're not like trying to attack the the comment or the the writer of that comment um and yeah just kind of more broadly that why this is important um yeah because um I think it is important to say like I'm not trying to take down the New York Times I'm not trying to attack Matt Futterman you know I'm sure that he was, he's just doing his job. And I have to imagine just as it's really hard for athletes competing during the games, it's hard on you guys as well. I mean, you're given a deadline. You've got to watch the race in the freezing cold, write an article. You probably have to get it in that night. Like that's hard. And so he's just doing his best like everyone, you know? And so I, I always like to try to go into things with the assumption that the other person is simply just doing their best. And, you know, if there's a mistake made, it was in good faith. And, you know, <laughs> he's not trying to, you know, make negative body comments. He's doing his job. Um, however, I do think it's important to address the ripple effect of these comments because I do think there's been a lot of, um, you know, people going, well, well, what is the big deal about it? You know, why, why are people offended? Are people being too sensitive? Why is this a problem? And so I do think it's important to explain, um, you know, how comments like this can be damaging and hurtful simply because um, I would love for there to be greater understanding and conversation around the topic. And I feel like I'm in an interesting position because this is exactly the sort of thing that can and did hurt me when I was 18 years old and developing an eating disorder. And now I'm on the other side with people writing about my body in a way that is hurting other people. And so it's a weird full circle experience. And I think it's important to talk about it. Yeah. And taking maybe a step, a step backward, um, you, you talked about going into the Olympics that you were kind of intentionally not reading what people were writing about you. Um, so I'm kind of curious, just like when this comment came on your radar and, and just some of your initial reactions and, and thoughts on it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So one of the big things for me has been trying to not consume um, a ton of media of, of any sort, really. <laughs> During the Olympics, you know, you're trying to focus your emotions, your intentions on racing. And there's so much going on that for me, I was like, you know what, I'm going to download books and shows ahead of time. And I'm just going to really put my energy into the team and into these races, um, you know, as a, as a bit of a self-preservation thing. So, um, and throughout the season, I've learned, you know, it's better for me to just not consume a lot of media about ski racing because my life is ski racing, you know, like I'm surrounded by it 24 seven. So, um, just as a disclaimer, you know, I'm, I'm often a little bit behind because I'm not reading this sort of stuff. And so, um, after the race, um, 
well, it was, as you know, incredibly cold. And so we went to inside with masks on to go change and completely get into a dry outfit and drink some. I was making myself um, really hot sports drink to consume afterwards to try to get get my body temperature back to a good place and get some sugar in. But, you know, it's kind of funny because I also do feel a little bit badly for all the media and the mixed zone because right after the race is a tough time. I was feeling usually dizzy, nauseous, shaky. I was exhausted in a way that is hard to even describe, but for me to form articulate, coherent thoughts <laughs> to the media right after going so far beyond my limits is always a challenge. And so I feel badly because I'm like, man, you're not, you're definitely not getting my, uh, my best wittiest self right now. So I'm going to do my best, but this is, this is what I have to offer. So, um, right before we went through the media zone, Tom Horrocks, he's our, our press officer who was with us during the games. He said, Hey, just so you know, there's this article that came out in the New York times and, you know, it was talking about the sprint race and most of it's great, but there's this line in here that, you know, is going to be really interesting to you. I think you should read it and know that you're going to be asked about it. You know, like you, you should be prepared because you're going to get questions in the media zone uh, about this and, you maybe should read it first. So you're not like, what are you talking about? Because, <laughs> um, you know, I'm always a little bit scrambled after a race. Uh, it's tough. So I read it and was like, okay, like this, you know, again, like I'm sure he didn't understand why this could be hurtful, but this is hurtful to me. So my immediate reaction was, wow, this is a bummer because one, I don't self-identify as a sprite. Um, I don't think it's, I don't think it's an accurate way to describe me. I, I spend, I mean, you should ask my strength coach. Uh, we spend a lot of time working on how I develop power. Um, and I've spent thousands of hours training. And also it mostly, it, it wasn't that I was offended by being called the sprite. I was immediately concerned about what that could do to the next generation and the current generation of skiers, because, um, you know, the whole reason I came forth about, sorry, I'm really getting sidetracked, but I think this is a good time to talk about it. Um, the whole reason I came forth with my eating disorder right after the prior Olympics was because I was, you know, I wasn't sure if I was ready to talk about it. I knew it was going to make me really vulnerable and really open up you know, my deepest secrets and the worst part of my life. But I was so concerned that, you know, eventually word was going to get out as word does that, you know, oh, you know, she did you know she used to have an eating disorder? And I was concerned that especially some young athlete who was going through a tough time might hear that and go, okay, well, I guess that's what you need to meddle. You know, I was really concerned that the message could be misconstrued and, and someone could go, oh, that's what made her fast, um, which is not true at all. You know, it is recovering from an eating disorder. That's when I started to make great strides in skiing, um, when I started to take care of myself and, and nourish my mind and my body. So I, that's what made me come forward in the first place. So the idea that someone could think, oh, she won a medal because, you know, she, or because she's a Sprite, that was really concerning to me because I think that could be taken in a lot of really dangerous directions by people who are already at risk for an eating disorder or just not feeling great about their body or, um, you know, because 
there's this really wonderful article in an outside magazine that I linked to at some point on Instagram where the writer, um, she basically says, you know, the, the real problem with saying that there is one body type that is succeeding is it implies that all others do not. And it implies that this is the way to look. And whether that is tall, short, muscular, powerful, whatever, you know, as soon as you start saying, oh, they're succeeding because of X, Y, Z, the implicit message is that anything outside of that realm is less likely to succeed. And I think one of the best things about our sport is that we see a lot of variation succeeding. You know, we see people from all over the world, different body types, different heights, everything. We see success looking like many, many, many different forms of body types. And I think that is so cool. Um, and I think that's so awesome and the best part about our sport. And so um, the idea that, you know, you could, and writer might cause harm by comparing my body type to the people around me was really upsetting to me. And because it's, um, I've spent the last four years trying to destigmatize uh eating disorders and the idea that you have to have a certain body type in order to succeed. So um, that's why I was upset about it. Um, and, you know, to get into that a little bit more, I guess, when I was 18, I was starting to get into my eating disorder. And I did a lot of like, oh, wow, like, here's who's succeeding on the World Cup right now this, oh, maybe I need to look like them. You know, you could easily find out what people weighed. And I was like, maybe I need to be that size, you know, and it's, you always say like, um, you know, comparison is the thief of joy, which is absolutely true. But if there are a lot of metrics out there to compare yourself against or descriptions or whatever, you're going to start comparing yourself, right? It's, it's a very human thing to want to compare. It takes so much strength of will to go, no, you know, I don't need to compare myself to anyone else. <laughs> it's, it's hard to not compare. And so I think it was so um, hard for me to, you know, feel like I, you know, my eating disorder was now even more justified because, well, it's going to help me get to this size because apparently this size is what I need to be. Right. And that's not accurate, but that's the way my thinking was going. And so that's another reason that, you know, comparing body sizes or writing about body sizes is potentially dangerous. And I'm not trying to tell writers how to do their job, you know, like, you guys don't tell me how to try to ski. I'm not going to tell you how to try to do your job, but I do think it's important to acknowledge the potential repercussions and the ripple effects of these messages, because it does get into really interesting territory when your words reach thousands and thousands of really impressionable people, um, especially young athletes who, you know, it's, being a teenage athlete is challenging. You know, it's, it's a, you're going through a lot of stuff, a lot of change in your life. And I think why not give everyone as much support and positive messaging as we possibly can. Right. Like um, if you have to choose what you do, like choose to be kind and to try to be helpful. And um, I think that's why, that's why we're talking about it today. So sorry, that was a, that was a really long ramble, but <laughs> Well, I like what you said about how, you know, I think um, in some ways it's kind of like a, a silver lining. I, there's some challenges to it that that skiing is sort of like a 
a sport that in some ways is sort of starved for like measurable metrics, right? It's like, it's not like your 5k time is going to be the same on every course or even on the same course year to year, because there's so much variation in snow conditions, in how your wax is, all those kind of, all those kinds of things, um, which can sometimes make it challenging to kind of like track progress and things like that. Um, but it's interesting, like I, I, I can, we're, roughly the same age and I remember when I was in high school and kind of getting into skiing and really falling in love with it like you could look like when you'd look up who the top people were like their profile on whether it was like team USA or wherever it was like this is the athlete this is where they're from this is their height this is their weight and it's like yeah I remember are, that yeah and it's like so this is like this is the first information that like you're receiving about this athlete and now there's so much more like in some ways, hopefully there's been a shift kind of away from that. Um, like it doesn't seem like it's as present. Um, and I think that's, that's a good thing. Well, there's actually a funny side note about that. Breezy Johnson, the Alpine skier and myself and Alex Cohen, um, a sports psychologist for, uh, us ski and snowboard and the USOPC, we went on a mission to get that removed because First of all, not every athlete would like their weight to be publicly broadcast. That's something that, you know, not everyone is comfortable with being the first thing that shows up when you Google them. Um, And also we were talking about how that can be so harmful, you know, like why does what you weigh have anything to do with, you know, with how fast you race? Like it really, in my opinion, it really doesn't. It does not say a whole lot about you. It doesn't say anything about your self-worth. Why is that on there? And so it's now removed from US ski and snowboard. And I think from the USOPC, um, which is really, really cool. So if you try to find out what I weigh, you can't find it. There's old information from 10 years ago, but you can't find it now. And I think that's awesome because who cares? Like, you know, it's not important. Um, you can find a lot of interviews and information about mental toughness, about, you know, what I'm working on with technique. You can find a lot of things that are relevant, but you can't figure out what I weigh anymore. And I think that's so important because I don't even know either. So (laughs) I think it's, that's really a cool change. Yeah. And, um, you talked about this a little bit at the beginning in terms of just why people are maybe having a hard time understanding why this comment has received so much attention um, and so much pushback as it has. And so in terms of kind of just framing, um, you know, why why comments are like this are um, problematic, maybe we can kind of talk about uh, your work with, with All Foundation. Um, and so recently, last week, uh, you and Gus Schumacher re- uh, gave a presentation you know, I guess it was called what America's top athletes know about health and performance. Um, and so I'm, I'm curious, you know, in terms of kind of circling back to this comment a little bit or, or comments like this, um, a little bit, but also just, um, why you feel it's kind of important for athletes to share their experiences with, with mental health and kind of the, the variety of ways beyond eating disorders that this can manifest, And then also just kind of, you know, why it's important for both men and women to be speaking out about some of these topics. Absolutely. Um, So I'm, I'm really, really pumped to be an ambassador for Withal. And it's so helpful to have Gus on there too, because to your last question there, this is not something that only affects females. It is not something that only affects teenagers. It's not something that only affects athletes. I mean, eating disorders and um, body image issues are they don't discriminate, 
right? And so men, women, every background, every ethnicity, um, every age, you know, we, um, I heard recently something from the Emily program that, you know, the age span of people in treatment for eating disorders was eight years old to I think 82, which is really sad because this is, you know, part of, um, I think a lot of this has to do with our, our culture, focusing so much on food and weight and diets. And there's this, you know, millions of dollars get put into the diet industry and, you know, the packaging on food and um, all these different cleanses. And it's, it's a tough world to navigate. So I think, first of all, just acknowledging that um, and acknowledging that when we pretend like this is a skinny white teenage girl issue alone, we do more damage to everyone else who struggles with eating disorders because it is doubly hard for men to speak up when they feel like there's the stigma, like, oh, you know, you're just supposed to be tough and, and love who you are in your body and you're not supposed to have any issues. That's not true. And so I think, you know, having um, a man speak up and say, hey, guess what? Sometimes there's a lot of pressure to look a certain way or to feel a certain way. And, and that's tough. Um, I think that is so, so helpful. So um, I'm really, really proud of Gus for saying, yeah, sure. I'll be an ambassador to say like, you know, sometimes life is hard because I think that provides so much um, guidance. Like it opens the door. For people. So I really love that. Um, but I think basically the mission of the With All Foundation uh, is that, you know, there are decades of research that suggests that, you know, what we say, especially to children about food and body image leaves a very lasting effect upon them. They're really, really um, sponge-like, right? They're taking in everything we say and do. And I think it's important to recognize that how we talk even just about ourselves in the presence of people that we are role models for can have a lot of repercussions. So, um, you know, for example, like, you know, I was very fortunate that my mom never said things like, oh, do these pants make me look fat? Or, you know, oh, I'm being bad for eating French fries. You know, she didn't do those things. I still had an eating disorder anyway, because I was hardwired to have one, but it came up later in life. Um, I think with my temperament, it might have come up quite a lot earlier if I had been exposed to a lot of diet talk um, and and body image shaming. And so it was so helpful for me to have so many strong role models in my life. And I think I really think it was so helpful in my recovery from an eating disorder to help turn it around. Um, so I think a lot of what to say um, is focused on equipping adults with, you know, thought prompts, um, helpful phrases and sayings, you know, ways to talk to children about food. It's not just for parents, though. It's also for coaches. Um, and I think what's really interesting is anybody in a position where, you know, you're around kids, especially you are a role model. And that can be hard because you don't always sign up for it, you know, um, but, you know, if you're an athlete, if you're a coach, if you're a member of the media, um, if you're a teacher, you you have a lot of people listening to what you have to say. And so I do think, um, you know, having a little bit of education and awareness of, you know, what are the potential repercussions of talking about um, body image and, you know, whether we talk about it in a positive way or a negative way, I think that's important because 
when you have that kind of power, that means you have the power to do good and you have the power to really help a lot of people with your words. Um, and so it doesn't have to be a scary thing. It can be a really, really cool, empowering thing as well. And in terms of just some of what you've learned through kind of working with that What to Say campaign and just working with Withal, um, in terms of kind of reframing some of this in terms of, you know, whether it's talking with a coach talking with their athletes about um, nutrition and, you know, fueling their bodies and things like that, like, or whether it's somebody, you know, covering a race or covering an athlete, writing a profile of an athlete or something like that, like, what should these comments focus on in terms of like, what would, in, in your mind, what kind of shift would you like to see in, in what the focus is and um, how people are kind of talking about some of the, these topics? Yeah. Um, well, and I also disclaimer, like, I'm not trying to tell people like, you have to say this, or this is how to do your job. This is just, in my opinion, based on my work with, with all in the Emily program, this is <clears throat> kind of what I have learned and what I've picked up and, and what I personally want to focus on. So, um, cause I don't want, you know, I'm not trying to tell everyone <laughs> how to parent their kids or anything, but, um, you know, what, what I've really learned and what has been helpful for me, to be honest, is really focusing on the actionable items that we have control over. So, for example, when coaches say to me, you know, or I guess instead of a coach saying to me, you know, oh, you know, you've lost weight or you look fit, I would like a coach to say to me, you know, wow, you've really improved your herringbone you know, I know you were working on that. I really like how you're driving your knee up the hill. Like, it, you know, I want, I want comments based on my work ethic. I want comments based on things that I can change. You know, like I, I don't want it to be based on my body. I don't want comments on what I'm eating or what I'm not eating. I want comments of like, Hey, you know, I mean, it is, it is okay to say like, Hey, great job with your, you know, hydration plan during the Olympics. You know, you did great with the feed zones. I'm really proud of you for figuring out how to stay fueled during the race. That's an example of a great positive, like, Hey, I'm really proud of you for coming up with a, with a plan for how to fuel your body. Like, that's awesome. Um, but I think I really struggle with the idea of someone saying you look fit because to me, I mean, fitness doesn't have a look. You can't tell by looking at someone if they're going to race fast. That's just not part of what makes you race fast. You know, what makes you race fast is your technique, your fitness, your training, your peaking, your mental toughness, which you can't see from the outside. And you also can't measure, unfortunately. Um, and there's so many, your skis, your wax, you know, there's so many elements that go into someone racing fast, but how they look, that's not part of that. And so when someone says to me, like, you look fit, what they're really saying is my, you know, visual interpretation of your body composition, just by me looking at you makes me think you're going to be fast. And that to me, I would rather have somebody talk about the things that I really have control over because genetics mostly determines how I look. But you know, for a coach to say, Hey, your workouts have looked awesome. You know, like you've really been pushing the intervals. You've been focusing on technique. You're looking really, you know, you got snappy energy. You're recovering. Well, I think you're ready to race fast. Now that makes sense to me, right? That gives me a lot of confidence. And those are exactly the sort of things that my coaches were saying to me going into the Olympics. And I think part of what gives me a lot of confidence and makes me feel empowered is the fact that the coaches 
and teammates in my life, they don't make comments to me about food or body. They make comments to me about my work ethic and my mental toughness and my grit. And these are all things that I can work on and improve on. And so that to me is, is so important. Um, you know, I think like we live in a pretty like appearance driven culture. Like we give a lot of appearance comments or, or compliments, um, or, or maybe things that are kind of like disguised as a compliment, um, even kind of that you look fit, right? It, people think they're giving a compliment, but um, it does have a detrimental impact um, and it's going to be received differently depending on the person that you're giving that comment to. Um, but I'm also curious in terms of just like what you notice across, and I kind of asked this um, of, of Rosie as well, in terms of like uh, differences in kind of the media landscape um, here versus in Europe, whether that's kind of because the sport is so much bigger in Europe than it is in, in North America, um, or just like kind of the style of uh, media coverage and things like that, and just what your relationship with that has been like as you've kind of received more and more attention through your career. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. So for your first comment, I think it, it is important to remember, like, at the end of the day, you know, somebody's trying to give a compliment. And I think that's really wonderful. Like, I love compliments. I think everybody does like compliments are really wonderful to have in the world. And we should all give lots of them. So I think um, it's just important or, for me. Anyway, I try to focus on giving compliments based on someone's character and their work ethic, not their appearance. And I think that's a great guiding star for me. And it, and it helps me give compliments that are very genuine and meaningful as well, because then I'm really noticing the person and what they're doing. Um, not just, you know, oh, you know what, I, you look pretty, you know, which is super nice and not a bad thing to say. But, you know, really going deeper sometimes shows someone how much you're noticing them. So that has been something that I've tried to think about a lot um, in my life. And uh so for your, the main part of your question about my relationship with the media, I think it's really interesting, right? Because um, I feel very fortunate, to be honest, to have grown up before Facebook was invented. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. You know, it's been an amazing way to connect. It's a great reminder for people's birthdays. You know, there's a lot of really good benefits and things that makes the world feel like uh, smaller and more connected. But it's really interesting because for me, you know, like if you grow up in the U.S. as a football player and you want to become a professional um, American footballer, you know that, OK, if I make it to the big leagues, there's going to be a lot of attention. There's going to be a lot of scrutiny. There's going to be a lot of interviews, a lot of media. Someday I might be on magazines. I'm also probably going to get a lot of criticism, but that's part of the job. But growing up as an American cross-country skier, it was like, hey, someday I might get interviewed by faster skier, but like you know, nobody's really watching me, you know, like nobody knows who I am. There's not a lot of scrutiny. There's not a lot of anything. It's just me going out with my friends in the woods, training, racing. I love what I do. And that's basically it. You know, like Instagram wasn't even a thing um, until I think the year I started to go pro. And I think that's the same year I had my first ever interview, which was more or less like, good job, kid, how to go, you know, and it was, <laughs> it was not complicated. Um, and it was a very, um, I guess it was an easier landscape, you know, and it was, you know, talking and to media and being interviewed by a lot of different people wasn't ever something I imagined as part of my job description. You know, I, I never could have imagined being 
in a magazine, much less on the cover of one. You know, those are things that were beyond my scope of what it could be to be an American cross-country skier. And our world's changing, right? Like um, we have a lot of very instantaneous media now um, and, and social media with us all the time on our phones. And so it's a different world now. And I think it's been interesting for me to try to navigate, to be honest, because it's challenging. I have decided to put a lot of myself out there. I've put so much material about myself very openly because I'm trying to do good. You know, I, I want to help people and I, I think it can help people to learn what it's really like to be a skier, but most importantly, to learn about eating disorders and body images and the challenges, but also the triumphs of asking for help and, you know, getting on the path to recovery and that it's possible. And I think that can bring people hope, but it also opens me up to a lot of criticism. Um, it also makes me more, more vulnerable and, you know, 10 years ago, we didn't even know what internet trolling was. That wasn't a concept yet, but now it is. And so I, I found that, you know, it's, I get a lot more criticism now than I used to. And that's always hard, you know, like it's, I understand why athletes might want to go through the media zone and give very bland, um, you know, kind of scripted answers because it doesn't open you up as much. And you're not as likely to get as hurt. Um, but at the same time, it's hard for me to do as much good that way as well. So I'm not judging anyone else's choices, but I guess my decision has been that I'm going to have to endure a lot more trolls and a lot more criticism. But at the same time, it's the choice that I can live with because I'm hopefully able to help a lot more people. So that's just the route I've decided to go. And it has not always been easy. And I'm not going to pretend that it has. I've been really hurt. Um, and that's hard, but it, I still want to keep going. So it has made my relationship with the media really interesting because, um, you know, first, I, I can't even always do all the interview requests that are coming in. And it's not me snubbing people or <laughs> trying to avoid it. It's simply that I'm trying to seek a really healthy work-life balance. Um, the last four years, I've pretty much been perpetually a little bit overwhelmed all the time. And I think, I'm, you know, I want my next four years to be a really healthy balance. I'm going to be married. You know, <laughs> I want to spend a little more time feeling like I have, um, like I'm not always running, trying to keep, keep up. So, um, I feel like that's always hard because you, you want to say yes all the time as well. And I'm very much a people pleaser. So it's hard for me to say no. Um, but I've learned that, you know, sometimes I have to, in order to say yes to things that are very, you know, very meaningful and important and where I feel like I can do the most good for the largest amount of people. And when you're kind of weighing some of those different things, like, you know, you, after the 2018 games, as you're kind of discussing, like you, you really broadened the scope of your career in terms of just how you were using your, your platform. And I think your platform grew because of, you know, having a gold medal and suddenly being on some of these more like mainstream media um, outlet news outlets and things like that, and, and doing the ESPN body issue and things like that. Um, and as you're saying, like there's it, you, you're opening yourself up to like, oh, Jesse did the body issue. Here's how I feel about that. And, and comments and, and 
um, criticism and things like that. So when you are kind of making decisions about, um, you know, what what you'll say yes to or, or what you're uh, more cautious with and, you know, maybe mentally preparing for kind of the onslaught of the, the commentary that might follow it. Like some, what are some of the things that you think about in um, in just – yeah, how you how you kind of divvy up your your time and energy and and where um how you how you're using your platform and what you're agreeing to. Absolutely, and I mean, like I said, it's challenging because there's so many good causes out there, you know, and you just want to do everything, um, and you also can't do everything, and and there's also a lot of fun opportunities out there, and again, you can't do everything, so I it is it is hard, um, but I think you know, when I'm kind of trying to evaluate, should I do something or not? A lot of times what I'm thinking about is, will this help open up a conversation that I'm interested in having? Will these words reach people who need to hear them? Um, you know, is this, is this something that, is this somewhere an opportunity for me to, um, talk about something that's important to me, you know, like, so, um, for example, like I'm right now planning on, um, going with protect our winners to the Capitol and we're going to do our lobby day. And it's, it's a big day and it's a lot of energy. And that's also where I feel like I can help the most and do the most good. And, and it's something I really believe in and I want to stand for that. And so I'm going and um, I'm really excited and I'm really nervous too. And <laughs> um, it's, it's something where, you know, I want to put a lot of energy and time into preparing for it, but I think it's also where I can, you know, use my voice in a way that I feel so proud when I go to bed at night, like, okay, I just went and did everything I could for this cause I believe in. Um, and that is a good feeling. So I think there's a lot of different things that go into those decisions, but a lot of the time it's, you know, even if it opens me up to criticism, you know, I'm the one who has to live with myself. And am I proud of this decision? Am I proud of what I said? Because people will find something to criticize no matter what, right? You're never going to please everyone. Um, and it's human nature to really feel the negative comments the most. Um, I'm going to misquote this, but it's sort of that idea that, you know, if there's a hundred people in the room and one person says something mean, that's the thing you're going to remember, you know, <laughs> even if everyone else was wonderful and nice. And I think it's up to me really to focus my time and energy on remembering the positive and letting the negative go and saying, you know what, these are the people I was able to help. And that's what's awesome here. And in terms of kind of the, the role modeling aspect of things and, and your own social media presence, um, you know, when you are kind of thinking about how you want to show up on, on social media, um, whether that's kind of like your own posts or posts that you're kind of making on behalf of your sponsors and things like that, um, and just how you want to present yourself, like, um, you know, we're a sport where you race in spandex and in the summertime when it's hot, you might train in a sports bra and things like that. So there's like sort of like, I guess, um, you know, I, I think you're inevitably showing a lot of yourself, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. And it's uh, as we've kind of, you know, discussed just like a, a comparison culture and, and things like that. Um, and it's a very visual medium but in terms of just, you know, how you share some of those photos and, and the messages that you're attaching with some of those photos, like what are some of the things that you think about in this context in terms of making sure that, you know, that is a post that's going to be seen by somebody and, and they're going to 
find it, you know, empowering and inspiring versus something that might be detrimental? I think that's a really awesome question. And, you know, it is hard because you know, if you've ever come to train in Stratton in Vermont, you'll see that most of the time I'm not wearing a whole lot because I, I struggle in the heat. It's, it's no secret that I really, I am, um, I was born to be a winter athlete. I'll just put it that way. So, um, you know, I, I can't cover up my body all the time. And, um, I think that it would be silly to try. And so, um, a lot of my posts in the summer, you know, if there's pictures taken of me training, I mostly don't have a shirt on most of the time. And, um, I really struggled and gone back and forth with this because part of me thinks, you know, I shouldn't share it on social media, um, because I don't want to give someone a basis for comparison, um, whether or not I'm proclaiming that I'm what you should be comparing to, I think putting it out there, you know, that sometimes people will decide to compare. And, um, at the same time, I always try to be really genuine. You know, this is my life. This is, this is what it's like, you know, because here we are, we're sweaty, we're dirty. Um, you know, we're running through the mud in Vermont and I love this, you know, like, this is awesome. I love my job and this is part of what it is. And, um, so at the same time, I always want to be true to myself and, and genuine and, and share, Hey, this is the experience, you know? And, um, and so it's hard. Um, and I guess I've just gone the route of, you know, I'm just going to be genuine and show that this is who I am and this is how I train. And, um, and you know, this is why it's awesome. And here's the hard parts, you know, like bounding up Stratton mountain is not easy, but we're huffing and puffing with a red face and here we go, we're doing it. And, um, you know, if I happen to be wearing a sports bra, I, I hope that people, um, don't compare and instead see the effort and the heart that goes into how I train. Um, but yeah, I, it's, it's something I've, <laughs> I've revisited in my head a lot and I struggle to know, you know, what the right thing is because there's going to be things out there on the internet for people to find. Um, no matter, even if I don't put anything out there, there's always things out there. So I think it's, yeah, that's a tough question. I, I wish I had a more succinct answer for you. It's hard because we also race in a onesie spandex suit. So if people want to know what I look like, they're going to find it, you know, <laughs> whether or not I post it, you're going to see what my body looks like. And, um, the last question, kind of this, this vein that I have for you is, um, after the, the 30 case, the, the final race of the Olympics, um, you had a conversation with Nat Hers, who was in, um, in China for, on behalf of faster skier. And, uh, you mentioned kind of just how people were talking about Michaela Schifrin and, um, you know, that it's not someone else's place to, to judge their performance or their mental state. And, um, that really there needs to kind of be like, people need to remember that there's a human on the other side of, of those comments. Um, and you said, uh, you know, we should be applauding their, their guts and their grit and, that people kind of need to just like stop judging. Um, and I'm, I'm wondering if that feeling kind of resonates with you at all in this context in terms of, you know, um, body comments in the, in the media or even some of the kind of like pushback of like, why does this conversation matter or pushback that you receive about 
you know, how you show up as an advocate in other spaces? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I had a great chat with Nat and I was definitely in a very passionate mood when I was talking about um, the uh, the criticism of Mikhail because um, I really like her and, um, you know, it's funny because <laughs> I was talking um, with my fiance this weekend. He was watching um, the Masters uh, golf on TV and, you know, the commentators were saying something and criticizing someone. And I was like, oh, he's just doing his best. And Wade was like, you know, just not everyone's like you, <laughs> you know, like you can't like you always try to see the best in people and you're always giving everyone the benefit of the doubt. But it's their job to comment on what they see people doing wrong as well. And I was like, oh, I know, but they're trying so hard, you know, can we just give them credit? And so he's like, this is why maybe you shouldn't be a commentator. So <laughs> I don't know. It was funny because I, you know, I have to realize and acknowledge, like, you know, when you are a professional athlete, you're part of the job is people are going to comment and criticize. But at the same time, I think humans as a species don't often spend a lot of time trying to really genuinely put themselves in someone else's shoes and imagine what it might be like to have someone say something like that to you um, at one of the most emotional times of your life. And I just think, you know, <laughs> seeing the things that people were saying to Michaela really hit home for me because I've had people say things like that to me and I know how it hurts and I know how that feels. And it's, it's so hard when you're putting your heart and soul out there, like over and over and over um, to have people who have never met you, who would never say it to your face, say things like that to you simply because there, there is a way to do it online. And that's, that's, you know, it is part of the job, but it's hard to see someone getting torn down for trying to do their best. And that was hard for me to watch. Um, and so, you know, I don't know. It's just when someone's vulnerable and open about their struggles, I think personally, my response is thank you for sharing because you've just helped someone else who's struggling, not, oh, you coward, you're weak. You know, <laughs> I don't want to tear someone down when they're already going through a tough time. I want to applaud them for having the courage to share that they're not perfect because you know that's helping somebody else. So yeah, I think it's it's an interesting um, time that we're living in with trolls and social media and the fact that anyone can say anything anytime they want. And um, you know, I'm sure people will say, oh, Jesse, you're too sensitive. You need to just realize that this is part of your job and move on. But at the same time, my humanity and, and that sense of kindness is, it's part of who I am and it's what makes me who I am. And so I think it's more important for me to focus on reaching out to people and providing support where I can. And it, it seems like you know, from what you've talked about, from what some of your teammates have talked about, like the Olympics kind of already amplifies like the highs and the lows just due to the nature of, you know, how much, how much hype there is around the Olympics, right? It's kind of the, the pinnacle of sport. And um, especially in the U.S., kind of what we, what we see is like the peak of competition. So those feelings are, you know, it's, it's already amplified, like your highs are higher, your lows might be lower. Um, and, maybe rubbing salt in the wound or, or, or passing criticism on some of those low points is especially not helpful in those moments. 
Exactly. I mean, yeah, if you, if you have the choice to be kind to someone and, and lift them up, why not? You know, I guess I just keep coming back to that. Like, if you have the opportunity to extend a hand to somebody, why not take it? Because that feels so good to know that you could be there for someone else. So it's, you know, yeah, it's just sort of like, why not? Well, I'll, uh, I'll move into some kind of wrap up questions here. Um, and, and first, I know after the World Cup ended, before you headed to Canada, you, uh, you took a trip to France for with Solomon um, and got to do some uh, mountaineering kind of adventure <laughs> that looked amazing. So I'm, I'm hoping you can kind of tell us a little bit more about that trip and that experience and yeah, just what that was like. Oh my gosh, they opened the door and it's never going to shut again. So <laughs> now I know what, how many cool things you can do in the mountains. That was amazing. I'd never um, done anything like that before. And I'm sure that for someone who actually does mountaineering, the, our little adventure was like just very, very, very tame, but for me, it was very exciting. Um, so we got to go up to the Guide de Midi in Chamonix and it was beautiful and the mountains were crazy you know it makes you just feel so small and um it uh ah, it was such a cool experience and I got to go to the design center and research center and honestly and see what they're working on and see what's coming next and um unfortunately I can't tell you about it here but it is so cool I'm so excited and I got to meet the people who make my boots, you know, and, and talk to them about my weird bony feet and, um, you know, meet the people who came up with the colors for the blue fire skis. Like, I didn't know this. They had to invent the color that they used on the top sheet of the skis because that didn't exist before. Um, and I was like, well, that's so cool. Like, it's, it's amazing to see um, everything that goes on behind the scenes. You know, I, I try to never take for granted, you know, the fact that when they show up, to a wax cabin in Ruka and give us new skis. And there's, you know, some amazing new things going on um, with the way the skis feel. I know that there had to be so much work behind the scenes to make it happen, but to actually see the place where they do the research and they test it out and they make the prototypes, like that really brings a new level to it. And um, yeah, never going to take a pair of skis for granted again. It's crazy <laughs> what goes into that. Um, and at this point, you know, you have an Olympic medal of every color. You have four world championship medals, um, overall world cup title and crystal globe. So as you're kind of thinking about, you know, your career, your role in the sport, like what is, what are some of the things that kind of keep you in it? And, and what are, what do you still love about kind of the process and the lifestyle of what you do? Oh, everything. Honestly, um, <laughs> there, I mean, like we've talked about, there are challenges, you know, it's not always easy. There are ups and downs. Um, the Olympics is a great example of something that can be amazing, but also really hard, really challenging, like emotionally, physically, you know, like this last Olympics took so much. And, you know, for the month afterwards, I was tired in a way that I have never experienced before in my life. Um, it was shocking for me. So um, I think it's, but that's what's so interesting is sport has such high highs and the lows are low, but it's always so interesting and there's always something to work on. And for me, I feel like I am 
not done working. I'm not even close. I have so much I want to do with my classic skiing. I have a lot of things I want to improve with my skating as well. And, um, you know, I feel like there's so many little things that I'm always tweaking and working on. So I'm never going to be done and I'm never going to be bored. Um, and I feel like I haven't reached my peak yet. I feel like I'm still learning and figuring out how do I draw more from my body? How can I be smarter with my pacing? How can I do better tactically? Like, um, so I feel like, you know, excite, I guess I'm excited to try and improve and to try to keep improving. Um, and that's, that's really cool. And I don't mean improving in terms of, you know, concrete results, obviously, you know, you, you want to go after those, of course, but improving in terms of like, what I deem to be a great race. And that, that feeling of crossing the finish line and going, yes, like everything came together, the pacing, the tactics, technically I skied better than I ever have, you know, like this, that feeling is so addicting and it's fun to keep chasing it. But on the other side of it too, I love the people in the sport. I love my teams, um, my club team and um, our national team. And I love our wax techs, our coaches. Like we have amazing people around us and that's so cool. Like it's, I don't know that, you know, I hope in my next life someday um, I genuinely consider my coworkers, my family, but I do imagine it's kind of a rare incidence where you just love the people that you're around all the time. And to the point where you want them in your wedding and, you know, like, that's so cool. Um, so I think, yeah, I, I'm never going to be bored. Are there, uh, I know you aren't sharing the date of your wedding, but it's, it's coming up. Um, are there people who, who will be in it that, yeah, that you're, you're, open to talking about in terms of just like who, who some of those key people are? Yeah. Um, well, it's, <laughs> I, wedding planning is so fun, but it's also so hard because you want to invite the whole world. Um, and you can't, <laughs> so that, that's really hard, but there's a lot of skiers there. Um, most of my bridal party, um, are skiers and, um, it's just, uh, Oh, I'm so excited. It's just going to be a really good chance to just party and enjoy it with my friends. And um, it's going to feel like a big skier reunion as well as a hockey reunion from Colgate University. So um, I've loved getting to know all of Wade's friends and I, I adore them. They're amazing people. So um, it's going to be fun to bring our two worlds together. Um, it's going to be a great time. Um, any final thoughts in terms of just yeah, this, this conversation or just, you know, things that you're excited about. Yeah. I mean, I'm excited to be a bride. I'm, I'm really, I'm, I can't wait. It's going to be really cool. Um, I'm excited to get back into training in May. Um, you know, right now I'm in my do whatever you want phase after I took two weeks totally off, which was wonderful. It was so necessary. I feel like myself again. Um, I feel healthy and happy and that's, everything that I want for everyone. <laughs> so it's, it's a good feeling. Um, but I guess, yeah, I just thank you for this conversation. It's been really awesome. And just, um, you know, disclaimer, I'm not an expert. I'm not a psychologist. I'm just somebody who, you know, knows what has been helpful for me in my own experiences. And I'm really passionate about it, but I don't pretend to have all the answers or know everything at all. You know, I'm still learning too. So that's why it's cool to talk about because we're figuring this out and we're learning how to be good humans. And that's, that's cool.
Thanks for listening. If you enjoy the content you consume on Faster Skier, we encourage you to consider supporting us with a voluntary subscription with price set at your own discretion. Learn more at fasterskier.com support. You can also rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast or share it with a friend or ski buddy who might also enjoy it.